entrepreneurialism going on throughout the country and the world. I know globally people are, are listening to your podcast and excited to be talking to you today. This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ, the big guy. Hey, welcome listeners. And uh, oh gosh, I am so excited to be back here in the studio today. We have uh, recorded a few great episodes over the past week. And today will be no exception. Uh, I am so honored to have our guests here today. Brenna's in the studio with us as well. Howdy. Full speed ahead up here in our penthouse suite. I'm so honored to have this gentleman here today. He is someone who is going boldly. Gosh, start all, his whole life that I'm aware of, uh, at least back to when he was a young man in his 20s. And he's still going boldly with new projects. He exhibits all of those amazing entrepreneurial traits that we talk about. I'm honored to have him as our guest here today. In 1974, actually through 87, he coached the University of Detroit, Detroit Pistons, the San Diego State basketball teams. He's the founder and executive director of the San Diego Police Athletic League, executive director of the Jackie Robinson Family YMCA in San Diego, quite a long time and responsible for lots of people and lots of money, uh, vice president mission advancement for San Diego Y. He's the recipient of the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Human Dignity Award. He was declared Mr. San Diego in 2019, which is interesting because, ironically, he's from Detroit. And currently, he's the CEO of the Third Option City. Please welcome Michael Brunker. Michael, this is Hello, you. Russ. I'm great. How about you, man? Th- oh my gosh! That, resume. that is crazy, <laughs> right? Okay, you can yeah. fix you can fix any of the errors that I made or omissions. <laughs> Anything that no, you did a great job. You did a great job. But what a resume you have too, and, and I know well, Brenda's you. in here as well, and, yeah. and um, all that you're doing to really help advance entrepreneurialism going on throughout the country and the world. I know globally, people are are listening to your podcast and. Excited to be talking to you today. Well, thanks. Yeah. And uh, by the way, that 70s mustache was pretty cool. It was, yes. (laughs) I've had it since high school, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Gosh, if we only had the hair still from the 70s, right? I still have hair. I'm I'm happy with that. It may may not be the black hair, but (laughs) I still have it, and it's good to have, for sure. Uh, okay, so we covered that. So we, so people kind of have an idea who you are, right? So like, why should we, why should we pay attention to what Michael's talking about? Well, uh, well, you should because those were the days. Man. Yeah. When you look back at it, Russ. I mean, and, and I, you know, I reflect on. In fact, uh, thank God for Facebook memories. They pop up all the time. And today's Facebook memory was a. I saw a show, Car Hoarders, one year, and maybe it was about six or seven years ago, and, and it. And they showed uh, the 1957 Pontiac Chieftain. And so that was my first car, you know, and, and I've been looking near and far for one. And just you never see them. You see a lot of Chevys, but you never see yeah. the Pontiacs. And that was my first ride in the Motor City. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not even sure I know what that one is. Um, yeah. <laughs> Brenna, wait a minute. Well, Brenna just Googled it. Let me just check this out. What year was it? 1957 power car oh my gosh holy cow yes yeah yes oh it's gorgeous 
All right. We'll look that up, listeners. That's a good one. <laughs> She's on the ball today. I like that. I missed her. But they uh, don't make them like that anymore. You see, they don't make them. But no. when you look back at that time when I was in high school, you know, not graduated in 1970, but yeah. look at all the things that happened while I was in high school. We had like the worst riot in the history of Detroit yeah. in 1967 in July. And then the following April, uh, we all know what happened. It was um, in April of 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. There's so much going on at that time. You get on campus at the University of Detroit, um, incoming freshman in September of 1970, and civil rights was huge. The Vietnam War was huge. Uh, things were uh, interesting at that time, and uh, young people were on the move at that time, too. And that's what excites me so much about today, yeah. is that we're seeing just the upsurges of so many young people on the move. But the question is, where are we going with them, and how are we supporting their movement? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You know, we've had this conversation since, uh, black lives matter started and I've, I've had it with Brenna and, and other people too. And, um, it, it, my, my sense is that in many, in many cases, there's, uh, sort of this, um, this, uh, uh, flurry of activity and frenzy. And then when the media stops paying attention, um, nothing happens after that. I'm not sure like what kind of progress we can make if, if we're not doing something extra. And I think that's one of the nice things about uh, the third option city, at, at least in my mind, is that something tangible, right, that people can well, get behind. There's no doubt. You know, and once you learn it, you live it. And, and that's the commitment because, um, and I'm not going to say that the movement is dying out. It's still alive and well. But but uh, we had, at while uh, serving as the executive director of the Jackie Robinson Family YMCA, we would annually host the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Human Dignity Award breakfast. I mean, it started in the gymnasium of that YMCA, maybe 400 people attended. And then the last one that we were able to run live was at the Town and Country Resort Hotel. We had over 1,800 there. Anybody that's anybody was there for that event, always was. Yeah. And, and so uh, we had some keynote speakers that would come in over the years, and we would always try hard to get somebody that was a part of the connection to King. And so one of the keynote speakers we had, he actually came twice, was the Reverend Samuel Billy Kyles out of Memphis, Tennessee. Kyles is the reason that King was in Memphis for the sanitation workers strike. He invited him to come in at that time. It was Kyles that had driven him to the church the night before where he gave the mountaintop speech. Mm-hmm. And Kyle's would, well, while Billy was in, you know, speaking at this event for those two events, he was the last surviving person that was in that Lorraine motel room with Dr. King before he walked out on the balcony. And the picture that you see of everybody pointing from the balcony, yeah. the man holding King in his arms is Reverend Samuel Billy Kyle's. He's since been called to be with the Lord. But, but I asked uh, Reverend Kyle's one day when I was taking him back to the airport, what happened to the movement after the assassination of King? And his response was pretty much what you just explained. You know, it, it, you build up to a certain point and then at some point it dies. And that's where I, what I'm excited about now is that it's not dying and I hope it doesn't die because there's so much change that needs to be made. And, and the young people are the ones that are gonna make it happen. Yeah, I just, I, I just find it amazing that we even have to have this discussion at this point in time of our, you know, of our country, um, or that we have to have the idea of this movement, the third option city, which we haven't even explained to anybody yet, but what is wrong with us? (laughs) We're still, it's still an issue. Like, why is it still an issue? 
You know, I, it just, it's mind boggling. Well, well, you know what? It, let, let me ask um, Brenna, who's back there right now, and she's yes. a young person who's watching all this. And let's start with you, Brenna. Why do you think it's still an issue today? Well, that's a good question. I think, I think, I think our society is made up of a lot of people who are ignorant of expanding the way that they participate in the world. Like you mentioned earlier, you said the sentence leading with love. And I, and I really connected with that. Um, and I think, I think a lot of people don't think outside their own bubble of, you know, what's going on in, in their own lives. There are so many wonderful progressive things happening in different communities. You know, I think knowledge is power and compassion is what, you know, keeps us connected and, and keeps us uplifting each other. And I think those things are just missing in a, in a lot of people's brains. <laughs> and, and what's good about what you just said, Brenda, thank you, because <clears throat> I'm sure you didn't anticipate the question, but but in answering like you did, the power of, 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 and part of what we do with the third option city is instead of having a race uh, conversation, we have a race consultation. And what, you know, if I don't ask you the question and if you don't let me know what's in your heart about the topic, it's really difficult for me to figure out what you're thinking. And I think right now, a lot of people are being told who they are and what they are and what they think and not given the opportunity to explain just like you did historically. A lot of folks don't understand the history of racism in this country. They don't understand how black people, I mean, there's, has there been any other race of people that have come to this country in the belly of a boat? You know, and when you study that history that goes back so many years, it hasn't left the culture of those that it's affected. And, and so I believe now that that's a big starting point. But the next piece for us is where do we go from here? And yeah. King said, too, you know, he said a lot of things. And I know a lot of folks gravitate to the love message. You know, when he talked about we have before us the glorious opportunity to inject a new dimension of love into the veins of our civilization. And the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. But he also said, too, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And right. so that was King. And, yeah. and when you look back to the movement in the sixties, I'm from Detroit and um, on Facebook, I'm a friend of uh, Sally Liu Liuzzo, who is the daughter of Viola Liuzzo. And if you don't know her history, mm -hmm. she was one of the freedom writers, a white blonde that traveled from Detroit to Selma and was one of the three that were killed in, in that trip down there, you know, so it, there's a lot of people of that were white that yeah. supported the movement in the 60s. And I think is, for white people now, they can get as engaged and involved as they want to support the movement. It's kind of like Jackie Robinson when, you know, when he left baseball, he didn't just retire and disappear. He supported the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who at one time said uh, that you would not know how easy it was for me to do my work, it was because of Jackie Robinson. And so there's an age difference of like maybe 20 years, but Robinson supported King, raised money for him, walked, marched with him, did everything he could to, you know, wrote letters to the president on his behalf. But I think that's the advocacy that needs to happen today to keep the movement alive. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Michael, we really kind of dove into this without explaining to our listeners what the third option city is all about. I want to just 
pause the discussion here and kind of back up and have you talk about that, introduce it, explain why it's important, um, whatever you feel that, you know, is important to, to say. Uh, and then um, we're going to talk about you a little bit so that people can become inspired by your story and uh, the skills that you apply to do all these uh, amazing things. Uh, and then we'll do the questions after that, which will be fun. Is that okay? Sounds good to me. This is a fairly new organization. Uh, of course, the movement, as you described, has been going on for generations. But you are the CEO, and it's based on the third option city, which was authored by Miles McPherson, correct? Correct. Okay. So take it from there. So let me begin by saying it was um, how I got to where I am. <clears throat> and from an entrepreneurial perspective, the uh, I'm at the Jackie Robinson YMCA for 22 years. And um, the last two years, I became the vice president for mission advancement of the YMCA of San Diego County in large part because the Y felt I was being underutilized at Jackie Robinson. I just completed a $40 million capital campaign to totally rebuild an old out-of-state out of YMCA located in arguably San Diego County's most critical community. And so after doing so, I was asked to do that. And, and along the way, during my years in San Diego, I came to San Diego in 1980 to coach basketball at San Diego State. So I was there from 80 to 87 then went to the Police Athletic League, as you mentioned um, earlier, from for 10 years from 87 to 97, and then came to the Y in 97, and got to meet a lot of people. And one of the folks I met who became a very good friend over the years was Miles McPherson, who played four years with the San Diego Chargers, and then went on to become a youth pastor for Horizon Ministries, and then broke off and started his own megachurch. And so it, it's called the Rock Church in San Diego, California, where they serve, they have online services and, and just he's the senior pastor there. Just an amazing, dynamic visionary and doing great things for the Lord, but also there's various, you know, when it comes to social justice issues, he's out in front. And so <clears throat> he's written several books, uh, two in particular I want to highlight. One, the first book was, um, it was called Do Something. And the whole challenge to do something was, to really challenge uh, faith-based religious organizations to get outside the four walls of your ministry and your church and do something, you know, impact your community, make a difference, volunteer, advocate, donate, do all those things. And so he created a movement that went global, you know, and churches around the world are, are using and reading that book and following the pattern to do more in their community to make an impact. And then a few years ago, but going back to the Do Something book, he asked me to read the transcript before it was published and, and really wanted to know what would the impact be for my church, The Rock, trying to do something in communities of color like Southeastern San Diego, and how would the pastors of those churches feel about making that happen? So he's very sensitive to the community, respectful, and, and so kind of when, when we're talking about doing a business plan and, and doing a your, you know, your, your community needs assessment, that's what he was doing. And, and that's all about business. And we know that, Russ, what that's all about. Yeah. Now the next book, this next book now was the third option. And he wrote this book. Um, uh, this was before George Floyd. You know, he wrote this book when there was a lot of tension in, in, in the country. And, and, uh, and basically the theme of the book is, uh, you know, it's hope for a racially divided nation. And it's, uh, you know, where you have situations where it's a you and me, you versus me, us against them. 
he feels that he felt that the third option is all about uh, honoring our similarities and celebrating our uniqueness as we come together to talk about issues that are impacting our country. And basically, as we, and so he created a training. So as this training goes on, the training is based on six basic concepts. The first session is all about similarity, racism and honor, talking about what are the things we do have in common, discussing the history of racism in our country and that from a perspective that it does exist. We're not dwelling on and, and, you know, we're talking about the things that are, there is implicit bias, there is critical race theory, there is racism in this country, but how did it get there? And then talking about how do we honor what we have in common? The second topic is about grouping, your in-groups and your out-groups, and how that affects our positioning, especially as it relates to race. Because if you're, I'm not, if you're in my out-group, then how do you, you're never going to get into my in-group and we teach how you can make somebody from your out-group a part of your in-group. The third session is blind spots, and we have them all. We all know we have blind spots. And then labels, you know, how do we put labels on people that are just not fair, but what are those labels that we assign to somebody or something say about us? The fifth is uh, talking about the need to have a brother-sister's keeper, you know, somebody that's going to pull your coattail, that accountability relationship it's going to let you know when maybe you're going a little bit too far. And then the sixth is about having a race consultation versus a race conversation. Conversations are, you know, like throwing words up in the air, but there's no results. And, and consultations have meaning. You measure them when you come back, kind of like a business plan, right? You set up your goals. You, you know, when you look to SOAR, that, that acronym for me that I love, as opposed to SWAT, SOAR stands for strengths, opportunities, aspirations, and results. The result of a race consultation is you're making an impact in really honoring your similarities and celebrating your uniqueness. And yeah, so, I like that. You know, yeah. So we're excited that we, the trainings that we've had and, and we've begun this calendar year. I, I, and so how did I get to my position? Miles asked me to sit in along with a guy by the name of Brian Buffini. And I want you to remember that name and, and all the listeners right now. I'd like you to go online right now and check out brianbuffini.com. I didn't know who Brian was. So I'm on this Zoom call with Miles and his assistant, Haley Bennett, and Brian. And he wanted Brian and I to review this presentation he was going to make in December for some, uh, you know, high net worth individuals that could help support the, you know, the uh, a group called Rate, a Race for Unity, which is the nonprofit that's affiliated with the third option city. And so we listened to it. And, and I think Miles asked me to come in from a nonprofit perspective. Yes, Brian, from a business perspective. Once again, I didn't know who Brian was. So we go through the PowerPoint. It was okay. All right. And before I could say a word, Brian went on for 30 minutes and gave uh, feedback, constructive, positive, you know, accountable feedback that was just spot on. And he did it in such a respectful way. And it was awesome. And, and, and that's when I started Googling on the Zoom. I said, who is this guy? You know, and I, I said, wow, I've never known him. He's in San Diego. I didn't know who he was. He's like the Tony Robbins and Ken Blanchard of training real estate brokers and agents. No kidding. And he's huge. And so I'm listening to Brian, and, and at the end of his 30 minutes, I, I could have just said ditto, but then I went <laughs> on for about 25 minutes from a nonprofit perspective and what that all sounded like. So at the end of my presentation, kind of hashed it out a little bit more. 
And then um, about two hours, so I get off the Zoom, Brian and Miles remain on that Zoom. And then a couple hours later, I get a text message from Miles offering me the CEO position of the third option city when I didn't even know there was a position open. You couldn't even go online and find a posting for the position. I did not know it, it existed. So I had really no intention of retiring from the YMCA of San Diego County after 23 years. You know, I could have stayed. I could still be there today. Oh, but okay. I was honored to be asked to, you know, serve in that capacity. And for me, you know, a kid from Detroit, you know, it, you know, knowing what I lived through and has been through and come through, uh, to be associated with this movement. What we're creating here is a movement to really ultimately create these third option cities, which is a community virtual or real that honorably seeks value in the people that make up our diverse world. And, and by doing that, we're looking at the pillars within the community from media, government, uh, education, sports and entertainment, business, family, faith, and healthcare. And there could be more, but when you look at those eight pillars within the community, as we go in and train up those organizations or those businesses or those churches or schools, whatever it might be, we teach them how to do this and then challenge them to live it, just like King did, just like Robinson did, just like those great leaders before. And I think this is the answer to the so what question when people talk about DEI issues right now, we got to get out beyond that and really make things happen. Yeah, it's interesting that you had no desire to leave the YMCA. At, that was fairly recently. So you actually, you were there for a long time. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, re, I retired from the Y on January 4th yeah. and refired yeah. <laughs> with the third option city the same day, right? Here's a guy who is uh, presumably in a position where he can make some stuff happen. Uh, he's uh, in the thick of it in this community that he's been in for, for a long time. It's his, it's his home, friends, a lot of connections, a lot of investment. Emotional investment really comes to my mind. And now there's a, an offer on the table. What were you thinking at the time? Like you had to have perceived that as one hell of an opportunity. But, but what, what goes on it. inside when you make a big decision like that? I'm going to tell you what goes on, and and, uh, and, I, and I'm glad Brent is sitting right next to you, and, and that the two of you are working together. And for those that don't know about this, uh, you know, this podcast, it's a family affair, right? And so, at the end of the day, you know, you, you don't always do it on your own. You you bring others in. You know, you consult folks. And so, at that time, so that was a, this was on a Saturday. On a Saturday, I got the text, and before I responded. I have, and I always have had a long, short list of trusted advisors, counselors, yeah. mentors, people who have been in my corner all of my life. And I ran a past them. I, I talked gotcha. to my wife, number one. I've been married since, you know, we've been married since 1976. So that's, that's a while. You know, we've been married. We, yeah, we've got five kids. And, and so I, I ran it past. I shared the text with my family. Were you, you know, excited and, or were you, were you, uh, Oh, I can't, I can't take another opportunity. No, I, I, or, or, I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but that's to me, like, to me, what you're telling me is, um, is the, is the brain part. It's the head part. Well, well let, let's back up. Uh, let, let's back up to about a year ago. All right. And what okay. happened is um, COVID hit. Right. Yeah. And so the YMCA of San Diego County is the largest YMCA association in the United States of America. 
are bigger than New York, bigger than LA. It's the biggest, the strongest, the one of the most powerful. Then COVID hit. Yeah. Everything in, in San Diego shut down. So our 18 operating units, including the Jackie Robinson family YMC, where I'd been for 22 years, I was now the vice president of mission advancement. Everything shut down. And so I, along with 3,894 YMCA branch and corporate staff was furloughed. I was furloughed for 91 days without pay. Okay. And so, you know, that, that was my reality. And then I came back in July to do the work that I had to do. And so, you know, that would let, let me add that to the mix. So there were things happening in the Y we didn't know where the Y is going, where it is today. And, and I know it's going to rebound, but you know, that, that was in the back of my mind. And part of what happened, especially from a consulting perspective and entrepreneurial perspective that you're looking at I'm also a member of the San Diego Rotary Club, which is like the fourth largest Rotary Club in the world. And, and uh, we went virtual. And one of the first programs we had on that Rotary program was that we had two people that lead search, actually three people that lead search firms. And one of the folks in, in, from the search firm of, of Blair Search Partners, young guy, and he talked about the importance of having your LinkedIn up to date, the importance of staying in touch and just looking at other opportunities. And even though you may be furloughed or whatever happening, you know, the impact on you during this time, there could be some other things to look at from a career perspective. And so that's when I began thinking about, is there something else I could or should, or maybe might want to do? I see. So during that, yeah. So during that furlough, before Miles approached me in December about this opportunity, I had been contacted by, uh, you know, two search firms in particular that asked me about five CEO positions while I was on furlough. So I had other opportunities to consider and either they didn't work out or they weren't the right fit or whatever, but I was receiving calls for that. So I think part of the lesson to be learned is that you will be called. You just have to be ready. And then you have to consider, are they good with each one of those? I did the same, the same steps. So when you ask me, what did I do? I'm number one, I should, this, I'm sharing it with my family because this is not all about me. You know, this is all about what's going on. My future for me, it's never been about career first. It's always been about my worship, my family, and everything else. As a lesson I learned as a young man working for Dick Vitale at the University of Detroit when I was a 22-year-old, uh, you know, assistant basketball coach with him. And, you know, he constantly preached it's hard to have, you know, work-life balance if you don't have your life in order. And if your order, if your job is getting before your worship and your family, you're never going to make it. And so that's where I've always been. And so I prayed on it, talked to my family about it. And then when Miles made the offer, you know, I, I then did that. And then once my family said, yeah, you should probably be something you should look at. And the reality is not really being sure what was going on with the why. Uh, it made it something else I had to consider as well. And then what I did, Russ, is I then contacted my vital few uh, support group that I have and have had throughout my life. And, and they're in people who, who I trust and, and, and they give guidance and counsel. One was the now secretary of state for the state of California, Dr. Shirley Weber, who is our state assembly person and Mary Walshock, the, uh, one of the deans at UCSD, you know, I, I talked to Dick Vitale. I talked to other people about it and they all, you know, gave me, great support and, and said, you know, it sounds like a good opportunity, you know, and, and that's, that's the key. And so <clears throat> with that, uh, I then pursued it from the why and, and uh, let them know what I was thinking and then um, made the move. Yeah. What did the why mm-hmm. say? Were they like, oh no, <laughs> you can't do this to us? 
Uh, I'll be honest with you. The uh, the Y hated to see me go, you know, but I think if the, the condition that the Y was in right now, you know, they were happy that I had the opportunity. And yeah. I wasn't the only one that has been leaving. There's been a number of high level executives at the Y that have moved into other careers during this time. But right now, the Y is a business plan that's built on membership sales. And so in the state of California, if you've been following throughout the nation, you know, the state of California has been in purple forever. We're just getting off the red, moving into orange, and now they're, you know, re- you know eliminating everything. But, you know, YMCA memberships have plummeted. You know, they, they've just, no one's buying a membership. And if they had one, they've canceled. And so right now, the Y will rebound. I've got all the confidence in the world it's going to come back and be as big and stronger than ever. But it's not going to be a flip the switch yeah. and everything's going to happen right away. It's going to be a dial up. And so th- that's been the impact on the why, and it's been tough because uh, I know the, the why workforce is a powerful workforce that truly serves the mission of improving the quality of human life and helping all people realize their fullest potential as children of God through the development of the spirit, mind, and body. It's a great culture, a great workforce, and um, I truly miss it to, to this day. It's a great opportunity for you to take some of those values and just, um, you know, even though the Jackie Robinson YMCA there in San Diego is so large. Now you have an entire globe where you can potentially make an even bigger impact. So, and, 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 and I'm glad you mentioned that because part of, and, and once again, just understanding my role. And, and so as, as you move into a CEO position, you know, it's a, you know, miles is the founder. He's the visionary. He's the guy that, you know, he's the, he's the, the person that, that is going to definitely, you know, attract, that's his, that's his strengths. You know, what he does, I do the same. So that I'm not going to say I don't do that, but yes. working for the why, you, you know, being an executive director, you have to do all that. Right. And, and, and the beauty of this right now is that my role primarily is to really get this thing institutionalized, you know, build the business, get the, you know, the business plan in place, get the org chart filled, you know, manage the financials, you know, make sure that we get our leads and then, you know, convert the leads and fulfill the leads and steward the leads that, that with the training that we're doing right now. And, and part of this is the outreach that we've had. When we put out our first marketing uh, outreach piece and, and looking for responses, uh, we received over 200 off the first one. And, and here's the exciting thing about this. And when you talk about global, so not only are we big in San Diego, I mean, law enforcement, uh, schools, hospitals, you know, health, all of that, it, it's, it's really taken off big here in San Diego and throughout the region, Southern California and Northern California region. But we've had inquiries from over 12 states outside of California. Well, put your seatbelts on. From a global perspective, over 15 countries have asked for information about the third option city similarity training. I mean, countries as far as Ethiopia, Germany, Ghana, Liberia, Nigeria, Uganda, you know, Zambia, United Kingdom. That to me is a cool thing, you know, and and what's also cool too, is that you can do it virtual, you know, so at some point I'd love to travel and we'd love to travel and be a part of that movement, but that we can do these things virtually that we've been able to pivot in, you know, the business plan to make it a virtual thing, friendly in a COVID environment. It's really been a great thing. And what I'll do too, Russ, is give you the links to the third option city, similar to our website where people could actually go in and preview and get samples of it and see what it's all about and why people are all getting excited to participate. Mention the website right now. The third option training.com. 
Right. And third is T-H-I-R-D, the third option training.com. Go ahead. You'll see videos. You'll see uh, breakdowns by courses. You'll see uh, inter- you know, interviews with Miles on there as well. How you can get involved in the train, the trainer training and help get involved with that. Our, our next one coming up is on the 23rd and 24th of this month. Uh, every month we'll have the last Friday and Saturday. It's a six hour training, three hours on Friday, three hours on Saturday. And, uh, and, and what you can expect is a, in-depth dive into the curriculum, learn how to be an effective facilitator, and, and you'll receive the six video lessons, a facilitator guide, a training design, digital workbook, support from our team forever and a day. Yesterday, I was driving to a, a conference with, that I had with Miles, and, and we're meeting with the retired CEO from Sharp uh, Healthcare here in San Diego, Mike Murphy, and Sharp is one of the biggest medical groups in, in, in the country. And, um, and, and he was reviewing what we're discussing with our business plan. And, um, but on the way up there, I'm on the phone for an hour with the uh, San Diego County Sheriff's Department that wants to bring this entire training to their workforce of 4,000. And so this is, um, you know, that's where this is going. And it's really exciting. I am very impressed with the reception that you're getting. But it seems like sometimes different organizations might jump on a program because it makes good PR or they have a, you know, there's pressure from a community to do something constructive something or something different than what they've been doing because it, the perception is that it's not working. And so just to kind of make people feel good and, you know, wait till the problem goes away or the, the complainers stop complaining, they put these programs into place. So what is your perception of how you're being perceived maybe or how you're being utilized? I would suspect, and I'm sure Brenna would agree, that those days are over with. So, if, And that was one of the questions that was asked by the Sheriff's Department yesterday. Okay, fine, we bring the training in. Can we count on your continued support? And, and the answer was a resounding absolutely yes. And, and the reason being is because we're, you know, this is bigger than just a training. This is not a check off the box DEI training. We, we're, we're looking to make a difference and get people to live it. Let me give you another example too. Beyond what I'm doing with the third option, I'm involved in a number of activities in the community. And one is a group called Standing in the Gap. So I'm getting a call from one of my good friends, retired police captain, Tony McElroy from the San Diego Police Department. And Tony had been a good friend for years. And when I was running the police athletically, he and his wife, Kim, were coaches and just fully engaged, full participants. And that's why PAL lasts to this day. I founded that program in 1987, and it now exists. It's called Star PAL right now. And so Tony calls me into this group, and it's predominantly retired law enforcement and black pastors. And we're praying, and we're talking about conditions with police and so on and so forth. But the hook here that got me is that Standing in the Gap was the group that's standing in the gap between the San Diego County Association of Police Chiefs and Sheriffs and anybody who has led anything in San Diego County, predominantly African-American, uh, marches, protests, whatever it might, might have been, that needed to have a voice with the police. And so that group then created a uh, town hall where those folks were able to come in and, and list their concerns and their solutions and, and want and they wanted them addressed by law enforcement. And, and I'm proud to say that the San Diego County Association of Police Chiefs and Sheriffs listen. They have been a full participant. 
there's nowhere, Russ and Brenna, that you're going to see on a Zoom call. You've got the district attorney, you've got the sheriff, you've got the chiefs of police of like maybe six or seven cities throughout San Diego County. You know, they're all there engaged, wanting to make a difference beyond just the, okay, we're going to run this town hall and then disappear. There's action items, action steps, there's results. And as, as a standing in the GAP member, this is our role in helping make that happen. Now with uh, the, the third option city, those same chiefs and sheriffs are bringing us in. And I'm not going to call out the departments, but in some cases, they're bringing us in to help clean up the mess that's been created by some of the DEI trainings that have come in and just not, not struck gold with the line staff. You see? And so yeah. we've been highly successful in doing that. And, and I think the key, Russ, is this, is you've got to be there beyond the crisis. You can't just come in, you know, to be the flavor of the month. You've got to, if it's got any substance to it, which is what the third option city has, you know, in those six, you know, classes that we teach, the sessions that we, we manage, you know, we talk about similar, you know, what is it, you know, just like defining what is racism, you know, people don't even know, you know, what is in groups, out groups, it may seem simple, but if you don't understand the concepts, you, it won't resonate with you. Service is critical as well. Being a Rotarian, we understand, you know, the power of what Rotary is all about, service before self and the four-way test from Rotary, it's very simple. You know, you ask, is it the truth? Number two, is it fair to all concern? Number three, will it build goodwill and better friendships? Number four, will it be beneficial to all concerned? And this is not about me judging you. It's about me assessing myself and everything that I say, think, and do with my head, my heart, my hands, and my habits before I walk out and try and accomplish anything. And so these are the things that I think are really, the opportunities we have before us are absolutely awesome. If you go to my website, michaelbrunker.net, that I put together for all the entrepreneurs listening right now, one of the other things is that I actually created my own, uh, whatever you call it, I started my own little business, right? Consulting yeah. business. Yeah, of course. And while I was on furlough and, and I created my own website, I did it myself. So if it doesn't look like you want to see in a website, and I did it. It was mine. I'm, I'm happy with it. But anyway, it's michaelbrunker.net. But two videos that you may you will find on there is one is the uh, from my retirement celebration from the Y where my daughter Maria, uh, you know, had some beautiful words said. And then yeah. at my Mr. San Diego ceremony, my son, Michael, who rarely speaks ever in public and, and just a very private person. Well, he did a nice he job. Says, I uh, saw that one. I've got people in the Hall of Fame from Big Night Train Lane uh, with the Lions, uh, <laughs> uh, Melvin Franklin from the Temptations, Bill Norton, who I started coaching high school basketball with when I was, you know, still in college at Brother Rice High School, Sam Washington, St. Cecilia's, Dick Vitale at University of Detroit, Smokey Gaines in the Harlem Globetrotters Hall of Fame, Bob Lanier in the NBA Hall of Fame. Tony Gwynn was the point guard out here at San Diego State when I came here. He could he was drafted in the NBA and Major League Baseball, and he was a friend until he was called to be with the Lord. Tony Gwynn is an awesome human being. Michael Cage, who's a color commentator now with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Kellen Winslow, Bill Winslow. Uh, uh, Bill Walton, I'm sorry, uh, Jerry Coleman, the legendary broadcaster for, uh, who played for the New York Yankees. He wore number 42, Russ, the same time that Jackie Robinson wore 42 for the Dodgers. They played wow. against each other. Dave Winfield, Marshall Falk. So these are Hall of Famers that have been impactful in my life. 
And and I've I've been blessed, and I always give tribute to those that help support me. That's it. Yeah, it's an incredible roster. So, yeah. um, and we've covered a lot today. Let me just I want to back up and just kind of re- review a couple of things. And that was one of them. That group of people that you can go to when you need advice, right? That support group, uh, that that uh, mastermind group, if you will, if you're a fan of. Uh, uh, Napoleon oh, Hill's yes. Think and Grow Rich, and it sounds like that's something that you've done, starting maybe with your dad and uh, moving forward. So you've always had those people to go to. You've had you've made the the decision to surround yourself with people of quality and value, so that when you do need support, they're there for you, and that's amazing. And I guess one of the most recent examples of that would be when you were offered the job as CEO of the Third Option City. And uh, you went to your wife, you went to your friends, you went to that group again. Even even after all this experience, as we've talked about, right, we've got all this, this t- time under our belt, all these decades now, and this wisdom, yet we still need to talk things over. We still go to those people. So look, that really highlights the value of that. Uh, a couple other things uh, that you mentioned is uh, definitely taking advantage of opportunities when they come up. As early maybe as those young coaching opportunities where, you know, make a big change. Maybe, you know, if it's a change in location or a change in mindset or whatever. And so you did that. Most recently, moving into the third uh, option city uh, in the CEO role. So those things are really exciting. You had mentioned Miles McPherson's uh, book, Do Something. And Man, I'm telling you, I key in on that all the time. Okay, well, stop whining, stop complaining. What are you going to do? What are you doing that's constructive? Like, what are you doing to really make an impact, to build, right? So we heard we heard your objection. We heard your visceral reaction. We heard your emotional reaction to it, right? So now what? And I just am so passionate about, about encouraging people to do something. Move. You can think. You can plan. You can, you know, paralysis by analysis. You look at all the inspirational people and publications and media that you want, but if you don't do anything, it doesn't really matter. So you had a great example was your police athletic league. I started it in San Diego in 1987. But, and it's still but first, I, going I, I was great, but I was raised on it when I was growing up in Detroit, you know, yeah. and it was founded back in New York City right. but many, you, many years before. Yeah. But my point I want to make is specific to what you've done. You were the originator of that in San Diego. So you were the yes. one that got that started and it's still going on. So yep. you made an incredible impact simply by doing something like that, right? So uh, there's so many other things that you talked about, your work, work-life balance and, um, and many other things. So I just encourage uh, our listeners to read between the lines Right when you hear when you're listening to some of these interviews, especially someone like Michael who has done so much, like read read between the lines. Right, it's pretty obvious the types of skills, the types of mindset that are needed to be able to make something exciting happen. You know, if I can add one thing to yes. that, that, that could be helpful, go ahead. Among other things, one of the other persons I did call before I made the decision to join Miles was my mentor and good friend Ken Blanchard. Oh. And many of you may know Ken. Ken is the, uh, he was the guy that wrote the book, The One Minute Manager. But probably the book that's resonated with me the most is a book called uh, The Servant Leader. And and upon retiring or hearing about this, um, there are two books I read. One was Refire, Don't Retire. So I used that. And, and then uh, by him and then a book by Bob Buford it was called Halftime. I read both those books and, and, and essentially, you know, as you're trying to download off of what you've been doing for so long, yeah. uh, they, they talked about how 
in, in the second half of your life, how you want to do something that's going to be significant. And, and, and what I quickly, you know, found out in my mind is that what I've been doing was significant. So I, I felt good about that and that where I was going was could even be more significant, yeah. which was good. But in the book, The Servant Leader, he took the one minute manager and looked at Jesus, not from a religious perspective, but from a leader perspective. In the end of the book, it talks about how nothing can become a habit unless it's practiced as a discipline. And he listed the five habits of Jesus during his walk on this earth. And the first was solitude. Let's share these with your listeners right now. Yes. The importance of solitude, the importance of getting away and just getting away from the phone, getting away from technology. I mean, even a vacation, if you're going to vacate, then vacate. You know, you, you, you can't have nothing else on your mind, but we see frequent times where Jesus walked in the desert for 40 days and he went off to pray by himself. But he solitude is good. And, and I believe it's a practice that we don't have enough of. So solitude was number one. Number two is prayer. I believe in the power of prayer. I hope I could say that on your show and, 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 that, um, yeah. and that people that know about that. But so often we pray only when we need something. But how many times do we pray just to give adoration to, to God for all the great things around us to, you know, pray when we do, do things that might not be right. Uh, father and son, father and daughter and daughter and father. Maybe, maybe there's something you guys have to resolve, but maybe you say, well, ah, maybe I shouldn't have said that to Brenna yeah, or Brenna the same with your father, you know, but sometimes you want to be, be uh, you know, contrition is good. Thanksgiving, you know, just be thankful for what you have and, and really celebrate the many things that you have, not discounting what you don't have, but what what about what we do have? And as much as people talk and lament about how bad 2020 was, in the last 12 months, I've had three grandchildren born and two were in 2020. I'm celebrating that. I'm sorry. You know, and so there may have been a lot of things happening. And so I'm looking at a new career in 2020 that happened, even though I was, you know, on, on furlough for 91 days. The fourth thing is love and and believing that God loves us unconditionally because of that, we must do the same. We must lead with love. It's all about love. If we're not dealing with that, it's going to be hard to get together and resolve the divides we have in anything, whether it be family, whether it be racial, whether it be political, whatever the condition is, if you're not leading with love, it's not going to happen. And then finally, and probably the toughest thing right now is you got to have an accountability relationship. And, and Jesus had an accountability relationship, and that was with his father. And so the question is, when we look at each one of us, what is our accountability relationships that we have? Who, do we, who are the corner people that we have? Who are the advocates we have with our careers? Are we trying to do this by ourselves? Do we think we have all the answers? If we do, it's not going to work. And so I'm, I look back to, you know, one, one of the guys I, I growing up, I used to, you know, have high regard for was Muhammad Ali. And if you ever watched him fight, you would hear this voice coming out of his corner, always sounding like, you're the champ. You can do it, champ. You know, do it. And the guy's name was Boudini Brown. And Boudini Brown was that corner person that he had that believed in him, thick and thin, regardless of the condition. And I think if all of us had somebody in our corner that we can talk to and get guidance and counsel from and somebody that we're going to listen and, and be that respected trusted truth teller, our careers can take off in ways we, we could never imagine. 
Very powerful points. Very powerful. Super. Thanks for sharing those with us. We've covered a lot today, and we also know that we can find out more about you at uh, thethirdoptiontraining.com and also michaelbrunker.net. Right now it's time for the questions. It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right, it's time for the questions. And uh, Michael, you are being dared to be transparent and give some honest answers. I know we don't even have to dare you to do that because because uh, you're a giving kind of guy. So, Brenna, take it away. Okay, well, we got some lighthearted questions today. Yeah, we're so, going to so find are... out more about Michael. <laughs> okay, question one. If there was no such thing as basketball, what do you think would have attracted your attention? Hmm. I, I probably could have been a pretty good lawyer when you think about it. Yeah. I think about that all the time. But uh, I played uh, three sports in high school. Football was probably – I played on two uh, championship football teams. And, and so sports was always big in my life. But for, but for the most part, you know, and, and keep in mind, once again, the times. when Coming out of high school, most of the folks I went to high school with went to Vietnam. You know, so that was a tough call. But uh, I think right now – graduating from college was important. Learning was important for me and really trying to make an impact and make a difference with my life was something I always aspired to do. Do you, can you think of anything specific that, uh, was in your view at the time that would have allowed you to do that? There, it, there wasn't much to okay. be honest with you, because I, I know where I grew up in Detroit and if yeah. you want to Google that, 14830 Prairie, you know, is where I, where I lived for most of my life until my mother was blessed with uh, Ernie Harwell, who was the radio broadcaster for the Detroit Tigers Hall of Fame broadcaster, pulled my mother's postcard out of a barrel on in uh, Mother's Day in 1963. It was the day before my birthday. And she won his and hers cars. And the significance of that was uh, my father, who had worked for Global Brewing Company most of his life, was uh, that company went bankrupt, laid off 3,500 employees. And, and from that point on, here's the hardworking guy who left uh, high school when he was 16 to join the Army. And, and, um, and he began working any kind of job he could, car washes, gas stations. He was a mechanic. He worked at the post office on the assembly line at Ford's. And my father took those two cars. He quickly sold them. He bought his first home about a mile and a half away. And uh, we moved into a different neighborhood, which put me on a different trajectory as well. But it was that luck of that draw that moved us into a community that put me college bound, you know, and, and really on track to even thinking about wanting to go to college, get a degree. In the beginning, I didn't want to be an attorney. In the beginning, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. And um, until I went to the University of Michigan during a program for uh, potential first in family college bound students, and they marched us around the campus and then brought us into this big room with this big machine in it. And that was in the probably in 1960, uh, summer 69. Yeah, so, no, summer 69. And, they, and it, it was a computer. <laughs> and I looked at this thing. We had to you know, punch cards to put print out a Snoopy thing on a big wide printout. And I said, I don't want to do that. And so that, <laughs> that led me to political science. So, I had the anyway. same reaction when I was introduced. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, and, and look, but look at us now, right? So, yeah, sports has been good for me. But, Brenda, what, what's been cool about basketball is it's what I've learned from not only the sport but the business of the game because back then in 74, you know, there wasn't, you know, we didn't have the full-blown, you know, athletic departments that they have today. And so we were the marketing. We were not only coaching the team and doing everything you had to recruit and build a successful program, but we learned how to sell tickets. We learned how to market the program. We learned how the public relations of it, do all the things we had to do to be successful. So I learned much more than just basketball. Yeah, that translates right, right into music too. Oh, yeah. You learn, you learn all those things, not just, you know, not just how to play your instrument and write a song, but, you know, everything behind the scenes. Um, mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay, next question. Who do people tell you that you look like? Um, who do you think I look like? <laughs> no deflecting. I don't know. I mean, I've heard as far back as, uh, let's see, Omar Sharif, which you probably never heard of. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, I can okay. see that. So Omar <laughs> Sharif. Yeah. And then uh, Stedman Graham. What is your favorite food from back home and who prepares it the best? My favorite food for a long time was fried chicken. And that was my mother. She did a great job with fried chicken. But my mother's Sicilian. And so anything Italian uh, was, um, was what I loved. And so, I mean, she would make it homemade. Uh, from the raviolis to the lasagna to, to she made the sauce she made the you know the the pasta the pizza homemade pizza and um, after my father was called to be with the Lord in 1981 my mother moved to San Diego and lived with us for 18 years and so to have her in our home and doing the same thing here for 18 years was an absolute blessing Nice. I'm pretty good on my waistline too. Yeah, I <laughs> I suspected yeah. you might have said mom, so that's interesting. Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. All oh, right. she could cook. Really, oh. she could cook now too. I mean, bake, cook, pies, cakes, everything. She was awesome. Scrumptious. Have you taken any of her abilities with you? Uh, any recipes I, 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 and cooking I, I, uh, skills? My wife Maria has. I'm worthless in the kitchen. <laughs> okay. All right, every week I keep a few hours available for some pro bono coaching uh, for people who uh, are stuck uh, or want to talk over their life or business in particular. We're going to do a sample coaching question right now if you're up for it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right, you're going to use your imagination a little bit on this one, Michael. It's the year 2025. What is it? If I did that right, that's three years in the future, right? Yes. Or four years. Wait, what's it? What year is it? <laughs> Wait, is it 19 something? <laughs> I don't know. Just picking them out of years and saying uh, it's been that many years. I think I, I think I messed, I think I messed that up. Um, all right. So you're, it's 2025. Give us the report of what has happened since you recorded your going boldly episode. That's today. All right. And what does the third option city movement look like now? In 2025. So you are in the year 2025, and you're giving the report of what has happened over the past four years, I think it would be. We're in the elevator right now. Okay. Russ, yes. I'm so happy COVID is behind us. Let me tell you where we've been since we've last talked. Can't wait to hear. Man, I'm telling you right now, as you know, you talked about going global yes. with the third option city. And we truly have, we have built communities that are either virtual or real. 
that are honorably seeking value in the people that make up our diverse world. And these cities and countries that we're dealing with have amplified to now we're serving over 25 countries throughout the world. And in these countries where there has been divides, and I'm talking about tremendous divides, people are coming to the table, talking and making a difference and actually doing something. You know, one of the things I didn't mention to you while I was at the Jackie Robinson YMCA was a quote that hangs, when you walk right in the front door, it talked about a life is not important except for the impact it has on other lives. And I'm making, letting you know right now, because of your podcast and the listeners that heard us, we've had so many people that wanted to bring the third option city to their city, their region, their county, their state, and it's active. And so they've learned it and they're living it and love is happening in a real profound way. And so as we talked about too, and during that podcast, what King talked about, when we talked about we have before us a glorious opportunity to inject a new dimension of love into the veins of our civilization. And the end is redemption. The end is reconciliation. The end is the creation of the beloved communities. The third option city has done exactly that and cannot show you one today. That's amazing. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you being here with us on the podcast. Uh, I know your time is so valuable. You're doing so much, but thank you for sharing it. And it really, it's an honor to talk with you today and get your perspective on these things and hear more about this uh, movement is going to become so amazing in the next few years, uh, which already has a great start. The third option city. All right, listeners, thanks again. And we will talk to you soon. That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. I hope you were entertained and you discovered at least one nugget of wisdom or advice that you can put into action immediately. Or maybe you received some inspiration from today's episode. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. Please share it with them. You might be the important link that will change their life for the better. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode and it will make it easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please subscribe. It will benefit us all. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment and send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in the comments, shares, DMs, and from the list of subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests or just something random and fun. But you have to comment, share, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. A special thanks to Brenna Swanger at Waverly Manor Studios for our great theme music. And finally, thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.